Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an amazing episode to share with you. I just had a conversation with Dr. Andy Galpin. He is extremely knowledgeable about physiology and human performance education. We talk a little bit about what that means, about the background of that entire area there, and he had a lot of awesome content to share I'm really excited about it. I got a lot of books to read now and stuff to check out, stuff to look up. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Without further delay, here is Dr. Andy Galvin. Hey, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, man. Hey, so to kick it off, you know, uh, first off, I love your website. I think it's a great website. And the first thing that hits you once you start it up, it says human performance education. What does that mean to you and why is it important for you to, you know, to, to educate people? You know? Well, really, the, I think probably right after that, somewhere pretty close to the website, you also see that the primary goal is... Um, to educate, inspire, and, and entertain. And really, human performance is up there because that's what I'm most interested in. So I don't, uh, I don't have any other purpose behind it than that. Um, I think that we have a, uh, this is where a real turning point for our species and understanding the human vesicle is very important. Um, and so I think people should have pretty solid access to the basic fundamental truths or things that are most likely to be true for health, exercise, performance, etc. And so whether that be my, me personally, you know, I'm a, I'm a former athlete. I still train very hard. I work with professional athletes and I teach uh, in the area in performance. And so it's my personal life. Everything is really about human performance at, at the biggest phrase. So that's why that title is there. And, uh, but that's, that's really pretty much where my headspace is at most of the time in my life. Awesome. What, where did that come from? Did you, you know, you mentioned you were an athlete before. Did you always have an interest in the science behind athletics as well? Or was that something that came over time? No, I would say that they're, they're together. I mean, I grew up uh, in the country in a very rural area. Um, but I didn't know anybody uh, that, that went to college. I didn't know. I didn't certainly even know what a PhD was or a master's degree. Um, in fact, I think I was the only person from my graduating class in high school to go to college. Wow. Uh, so it's just a very rare thing where I come from. Um, so science probably was not the right word, although certainly sciencey things always interested me. Uh, but really, I would say my story is pretty similar to a lot of uh, human performance scientists in that I was um, a pretty good athlete, uh, but not an exceptional one. And so what that means is I was good enough to where I was incentivized because a little bit of increase in performance was translated very well. Um, but I wasn't also so good that it didn't matter what I did. I was going to be the best anyways. And so I was able to have a, a pretty good amount of success in high school, uh, a large amount of success in college, but I wasn't, you know, an all American at, at a Pac-12 school. So 
kind of that middle road. And so for me, I was always interested in, and I was just lucky because that rural background actually uh, exposed me to things like, um, you know, it's acceptable to lose, of course, but it's not acceptable to lose because you didn't work hard enough. Uh, and that was never something I had to convince myself to do. That was just something I was born with and, and my family, my parents, everyone I grew up with, like that, that was just the norm. And so for me, it was like, well, if you want to be better at football, um, you better spend a lot of time figuring out the best way to train, the best way to eat, the best way to recover. Because why else would you do anything different? Like that would just be completely lazy to do that. Like why give yourself an excuse? And so that was, that's really where the science came in. So as I got to college, it was really like, well, I need to start understanding what the best way to train is and why muscle grows the way it grows, why performance can go up, how it's the best way to improve speed or whatever the case would be. And and that's really where science comes in. So uh, science was uh, the way for me to get better at the outcome, which was actually human performance in that case. I never thought the long-term goal would ever be a professional athlete. Like I knew that wasn't in cards, but it was just an excuse to hang out at the gym, train with my friends, like actually be looked at like a scientist. Mm-hmm. Like you think I'm a real scientist, I'm just hanging out at the gym, training with my friends. <laughs> That's what I want to do, anyways. So That's awesome. So I'm the 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 science that you're involved in is fairly new and it's growing fast. What was it like when you first I can imagine when you first looked into it, it was probably much smaller. What what was sort of the foundation blocks uh back when you first started? Uh, you mean of human performance? Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily new. It's been around for a long time. The Soviets have been doing it since really the 60s at a very high level. Um, anyone in the Eastern Bloc, uh, even Bulgaria, Turkey, a lot of those folks were doing it at a very high level for a long time. And it's been here in America uh, for quite some time as well, even going back to the early 1920s with the Harvard Fatigue Lab. This is an entire... Um, laboratory built on understanding human performance and fatigue. Um, now it was it was funded and backed by things like to understand what's the capacity a person could go through when they're working in a mine all day. Um, how much food do we have to give somebody when we ration them to send them overseas to fight in battle. But that's all nutrition. It's hydration research, it's human exhaustion, it's fatigue research. This was human performance research. Um, if you look at all the original sports scientists muscle physiologists, whatever you want to call them, they all were there for sport performance. Um, so Sid Robinson, D.B. Dill, all these original people were athletes, um, and they were training. And if you look at those original studies, again, from all the way back to the 1920s, you'll see something like uh, they want to understand how muscle glycogen works in the body. And so they would take a biopsy of somebody's leg, and they would have them run for eight hours on a treadmill, until exhaustion, they'd take another biopsy and they would start running chemistry experiments to figure out like what the hell is going on? Why are you getting fatigued? What is physical fatigue? Etc. Well, if you look at those papers, you'll see that they often put the initials of the subjects. And so instead of calling you subject one, they'd call you, they call you subject PB or something, right? Well, then you look at the list of the authors and there was the exact same initials in the list of the authors. They're just doing a bunch of experiments on themselves and trying to learn more because they were all competitive runners or cyclists or swimmers or something. Um, now, from the strength and power and kind of uh, anaerobic sport aspect of it, that is fairly new because until really the, the, the 90s, um, but really even more the 2000s, all sports science was dominated by that aerobic steady state type of research. 
so endurance, because they were all cyclists, swimmers, and runners. It wasn't for until recent, and really in the last, I would say since I'll call my, my generation of scientists, you had people getting into science that came from weightlifting backgrounds, that came from powerlifting backgrounds. And it's like, well, wait a minute, there's all this science. Let's take, start taking a look at the science of strength. Let's take a look at, look at the, the science of hypertrophy. And so really it's exploded and, and you're about to see another big explosion with these younger scientists as well and, and some other fields, but uh, it, it's really been around for a very, very long time. Wow. I did not know that the history yeah. of that. I'm, I'm, I guess I was focused more on the, on sort of, like you mentioned, like the strength, uh, the sort of like the study of strength science sort of come in, in the nineties. What do you think spurred that, uh, well, yeah, actually a handful of things did it. Um, if you go back, the, the there's been about three major turning points in the history of fitness, in, in particularly in America, and really the world, but here. Uh, first turning point was uh, back in the 1950s, and a, a guy named Karpovich. Uh, I outlined this whole story in one of the episodes of my podcast, by the way, if you're interested to hear more about it. What's the name of your podcast so that we can it's turn it called The Body of Knowledge, actually. Love it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty solid. So the, uh, the first turning point, basically you had um, a scientist at, at Springfield College who was very uh, well-known, who was a strong advocate that strength training was actually bad for you. There's a whole reason why this happened, but really uh, he represented the vast majority of scientists, which at that time said strength training is not only not okay, it's dangerous. Um, well, he got shown up by um, a guy named Bob Hoffman, who you, see, you may recognize that name, but he founded York Barbell and Strength and Health and a bunch of other very important magazines in the area. Uh, he, he was shown clearly, pretty clearly, that uh, Carpenter was wrong. And so at that moment, he changed his entire research agenda and spent the rest of the, his life studying strength and conditioning and started to unfold all the, the tremendous health benefits of that. That was turning point number one. So we went from strength training is bad for you to now, okay, it's maybe not so bad. Number two was in the 1970s uh, when a guy named Arnold Schwarzenegger did a documentary called Pumping Iron. And that literally exposed the world to what strength training can do to you. I mean, if you think about it from this perspective, there's no CGI, there's no internet, there's none of these things. And you have a guy who walks out on camera to film a movie named Conan. Conan the Barbarian, and you're like, look, he's a real-life superhero. But that was made by strength training. And that turned around and told every single person in the world, this can be you too. He wasn't born like this. He spent 20 years training really hard and turned into this. And that's fundamentally very different. Look at this genetic anomaly. It gave everybody hope. This can happen to you too. And that launched what I just will call bodybuilding. It changed. Uh, so you saw magazines change from things like strength and health to muscle and fitness. Right. And, and look at the culture that happens. Everything that we think about for the most part with fitness is almost always geared to aesthetic. Right. Dropping body fat, adding muscle mass. And this is all about what you look like. We've pretty much lost you can't market, you can't sell anybody on performance. You sell people on appearance. Right? And that actually specifically happened. There was an interesting battle going on between these two fields. And what really won the battle was the guy that started Arnold, um, 
a guy named Joseph Weeder, Joe Weeder, came back and said, look, for every person you show me that wants to be strong, I'll show you 10 who want to look strong. And he, he ended up being right. He took over, actually Hoffman lost because Hoffman was a performance guy. And he showed you clearly aesthetics is much more important to people than, than performance. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but that was a massive shift. Well, because of that, that happened in the 70s. You've got that 10-year sort of trickle period. You got people in the 80s, like me, born, and you started seeing protein shakes, and you saw magazines of lifting weights, and you saw all these things come about. So you have this generation of kids that were born in the, you know, I'll call it the early 80s, mid-80s, who grew up with strength training being something that was a part of their their norm. You saw um, what... Uh, Boyd Epley did at the University of Nebraska. And he got the entire Nebraska football team to start lifting weights in the 70s. And if you know anything about college football history, they were the team for a decade. They changed, and all of a sudden, boom, in the 1980s, every team is hiring a strength conditioning coach. Why? Because look what happened when Nebraska hired him. They dominated everybody. And the way they won games is they were just physically dominant. So then he starts things like the NSCA, the organization. And so that's running, coinciding with uh, reverberating from what Arnold had launched into the populace and uh, because of that documentary and because that got him his Hollywood exposure and Conan took off and then of course his other big movies hit and then look out and so people like me by the time I got to be 20 they were like wow this stuff is really really cool I love science science is interesting but why is there no science on this stuff that's what I want to do because this is my passion and so that's all what really led to um, having this field and, and we're pretty much what I, in my opinion, on the brink of the third major change, which is a really, really cool thing. So it's a fun time to be in the field. Yeah. I, I think that's an amazing story how, you know, just a few people's impact on the field sort of trickles down generationally where, and you mentioned, you know, you see the next boom happening. Do you think it's going to be one event that's where sparks that do you think it's going to be certain individuals in the field or what do, what do you think that next generation of, uh, you know, strength and conditioning scientists are, are going to look like? What's going to well, cause that? I think it's already happened. Um, just like you didn't see it in, in 1972 or whatnot, when uh, whatever the year was that Pumping Iron came out. You didn't see it immediately. But when you look back on it, it was clear mm. that was the cause, right? Well, I think it's already happened. And so there's, um, there's a philosophical idea from a couple of folks, it's a kind of a blend of Thomas Kuhn and, and another guy that said basically, whenever you have a shift, a major paradigm shift, it doesn't happen smoothly. It happens in these big blurbs. Like something major happens, and this causes a real paradigm shift. Even though, like every no offense, but everybody in sales and marketing, like that's the favorite term, like paradigm shifting product, blah blah blah. Our solar panels are going to be a paradigm. Okay, yes, everybody's thing is a paradigm shifter. I get it, mm -hmm. but then you have these very very clear ones, right? I'm just giving you a little bit of razz there. No offense. But... <laughs> Please. Uh, well, what happens is, and I actually think this opinion is great, is, is you generally have um, a thesis, which is a way of, like, you have an idea, you have an argument, okay? And the pendulum swings hard to that thesis. And then immediately because of that, you get an antithesis or antithesis, right? Which is swinging back, no, 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 go the other way. This is totally wrong. And generally what happens after that is you land somewhere in the middle called synthesis. So you have thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. I think this is exactly what happened because in the sport or in the field of, I'll just call it strength, conditioning, human performance, whatever you want to say. So initial thesis, 
bodybuilding strength training is bad for you. Then we have the exact antithesis. Arnold, are you kidding me? No, it's not bad for you. It's the best thing ever for you. Swing all the way there. Well, then we started to realize uh, probably in the 80s, the 90s. Okay, great. Uh, I'm going to the gym. I'm spending two and a half hours at the gym. I'm doing seven different exercises for every body part. I'm there six days a week. And I'm still not getting that much improvement. I'm not any healthier. My blood markers when I go to the doctor aren't getting any better. And now my knee hurts. My shoulder hurts. And I'm getting tired of going to the gym all day. And now I have to buy 1,500 pieces of equipment. My gym has to be huge. Like, so then we swung back, which is to say, this bodybuilding stuff, it's all narcissistic. Like It's garbage. It's a huge waste of time. It's only for these people who want to blah, 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 right? Criticism, criticism. That allowed CrossFit to enter the space. Because CrossFit did the exact antithesis, which is to say, not only are you not going to be here for two and a half hours, I'll get you in and out the gym in 30 minutes, including a warm-up and a five-minute cool-down. And we're going to ditch all these machines, and we're going to use only functional movements. We're going to use kettlebells and dumbbells. You're doing squats, deadlifts, and sprints. That's it. Whatever they were, right? And they swung back the opposite, and people started to realize, wow, I'm saving a ton of time. Uh, these single joint injuries are gone. I don't need any, near the space. I don't need any of the equipment. And my heart rate's getting really, really high. I'm losing a ton of weight. Uh, I'm getting stronger. All these things are happening. But then, because that was uncontrolled, everyone started breaking. Because they didn't dose people. It wasn't a strategic plan. They just hammered you with, hammered you with intensity as hard as you can for 15 minutes until you throw up and then get the hell out of here. Well, we're swinging back from that, which is to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe we need to land in the middle and say, there are plenty of times when I need to add muscle mass. For a lot of people, that's important. And so in those phases, let's turn to that bodybuilding community because they're very good at going, you know what? You know why your shoulder hurts? It's because your left lower trap isn't working very well. So let's strengthen up that. Let's isolate that with an isolated movement on a machine. Oh my God, look at that. My shoulder pain goes away. That's not something you can get in CrossFit. Also, Bo, or Bo the other way, oh, but you know what? If you spend six and a half hours doing seven different forearm exercises, that's going to be a problem. So let's take your general fitness from the CrossFit idea. Oh, okay, great. Oh, you know what? Those guys from the 1960s and 70s, those steady state guys, they actually had some good ideas too. You want to really improve your cardiovascular fitness? Let's take something from those people who did more of it. Okay, great. And so we're landing in that thesis now where scientists, practitioners, and all of those individual companies are actually blending a lot of ideas together. You have companies that are doing things like functional bodybuilding is a big term now. CrossFit has totally modified their programming. Uh, it's completely different how they operate it now. A lot of bodybuilders are taking different ideas. You see uh, endurance athletes doing a ton of strength training now. And you're seeing this kind of land together in an area where we can go, oh, you know what? What's your goal? Oh, your goal is health? Just general overall fitness? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can give you a blend that's going to maximize your health, minimize your time, and get you the outcome you want. I get you a little bit of fat loss, a little bit of strength gain, a little bit of... Okay, great. And it's very, very, very easy because we have now 30 years to what works for each individual outcome because they focus on that so much. And that allows us all to go, you know, I need a little bit of strength, so now I'm going to shift a little bit of my training more towards like a weight, weightlifter or powerlifter. Or actually, well, I'm just kind of getting banged up. Let's take some of those old yogi principles. Because yoga could be full in this conversation as well. They went far to one corner and it was like, well, great. But you're not doing this, 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 and this, and there's all these problems. 
Well, now it's like, hey, you do a little bit, we call it the movement field, right? Maybe people just do general movement practitioners. Okay, there's some, boy, that really makes you feel really good. Joints feel fantastic after doing some. Ah, and now you have introduced things like hot and cold therapy. Oh boy, okay. Whew. Now let's get into an ice bath a little bit. Let's get into a sauna. Mm. And so you're seeing the revolution hit, which is to say, this idea of siloed, this is the best approach to fitness, unless you're a professional athlete in those sports, it's not the right answer. But the right answer is applying the proper application given the situation, the circumstance, and the context. What's your goal? What's your situation? What have you done before? What do you have access to? What's realistic? What do you like to do? What do you hate to do? And now we apply. And that's really what we're in the middle of in, in that third revolution, in my opinion. I love that analogy you bring to the table of the, you know, the pendulum swinging back and forth. I think that makes so much sense. And, and it brought a lot of clarity to me understanding these sort of these, you know, like the CrossFit rising and falling and all those things. Where, where do people go to get a good analysis for themselves to determine what they need to work on or what they need to do? They might, need, they might know what they, their end result wants to be, but who should they go to? Where should they find this information about their specific situation? Oh, boy, that's a hell of a question. Uh, well, I'll start. I don't have an answer for you. Um, I would love to say go find a qualified trainer, but that's about as useless of an answer. You could I mean, that's the, that's the real answer. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't help anybody. You're like, great. How, the problem is, fucker, I don't know how to find who's a qualified one or not. Like, that's the problem. I get it. I'll give you a couple of pieces of advice, though. Anyone who's telling you uh, that they have a single approach or that their way, like this is an immediate red flag. Like th that's a quick way of going like, I don't know, those other cross, if someone says CrossFit is stupid and useless, it's a, I'm not a CrossFit fan, I don't do CrossFit, but that's an immediate red flag to me. It's like, it's useless? Oh, okay. Or anyone that says yoga is stupid. Or, or like if they if they throw any of these other fields completely out the window, that's a very early sign that they haven't really thought through all these things. Um, if you get to somebody that has a system, again, it's generally a red flag. It's like, okay, I don't want a system. I want a tailored individualized program. So you want someone who's going to diagnose a problem and then apply whatever tools needed for that problem. And here's another thing. Uh, that actually listens to you. A coach or a trainer that actually listens to you is a good start. So if you say things like, I hate jogging, but yet your coach wants you to keep jogging for fat loss, that's just not a very good practitioner because there's a thousand trillion ways I could get that done. I don't have to do any one individual thing. So, um, But other than that, uh, and unfortunately, the onus is on you. I mean, it's your body. You have to take some responsibility for it. You don't have to become a super nerd like I am on it, but uh, I think doing a lot of variety is a good start, but it has to be appropriate. It's hard though, man. Like I, I wish I had, like I, I, like I opened yeah. up saying here, I don't have a good answer for you. I can babble yeah, I, on some more stuff, but I, I don't really have a good clear, like this is the place to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges right now for people is that they, there's so much competing information out there. It's competing factions within the, the fitness community. And then it's trying to understand what would work best for them. And then, you know, there, the alternative to that is to, you know, sort of ditch all the teams and all the groups and to go straight to the primary sources, yeah. uh, which people, you know, smart people like you can understand, but, but it can be challenging for a regular reader to understand maybe the, the science behind things. Is there any tips that you have on sort of, 
helping people understand or, or getting deeper into the science to understand? Uh, okay, yeah, that's actually a really good one. And this might sound, this might surprise you a little bit, but I honestly, my general recommendation is don't even try. <laughs> okay. Yeah, honestly, a little bit of knowledge is oftentimes worse. Mm. Um, the, the saying that it's easier for you to tell when you're talking to somebody about a topic if they know more information or more things than you. That's easy. I think. What's really hard, though, is listening to two other people talk and figuring out which one knows more. Like the, when, when those two people know more than you, figuring out which one's right and wrong is, is basically impossible. Well, the same thing with science. If you don't know exactly really, really what you're doing at a high level, even my grad students, my doctoral students, they still don't understand what they're doing reading science. They're constantly misinterpreting it. And so for a normal person, I'm like, you know what? It, it, it's not worth it. Like, it's, it's really not. Um, I think thinking more intuitively is probably a better approach. I'm thinking about things from a more, uh, I'd just say have a bullshit detector. Okay, Carl Sagan, um, Demon Haunted World, the fantastic book, but the, the approach he lays to basic critical thinking is very, very good. So things like, uh, does this sound like a short-term solution or a long-term solution? In other words, do you think humans were are really optimized by having this crazy combination of supplements and routine? Like, is this really something that you think a human would need? It's probably not the answer then, right? If it's like, well, okay, you need to move a lot and you should breathe fresh air and you should eat really good quality foods and have good relationships with people and be happy and get recovered. Okay, those central tenets don't really change. The rest of it is kind of noise. And so anytime you get too far gimmicky outside of that, that's generally a flag that says this is not, not the right answer. Uh, it's maybe a short term makes you feel good versus a long term uh, real answer. So in terms of if you want to dive hard into the science and be, be a super nerd, cool. But if you don't, don't, don't even kind of mess with. It would be the equivalent of me saying, oh, you want to get super into politics? Yeah, just you know, follow CNN and uh, Fox News on Twitter. Good luck. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'll know a little bit more of the, of the words, but you're going to be more confused than you were when you started. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that that's kind of what I'd say is is there's not that I'd say science is generally not as bad as some of those media outlets, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> using that analogy of sort of like understanding politics, you know, one thing that's like a central tenet, no matter which way you go, it's like. With politics, you know, the single action you could take is like vote. Is there any sort of single action that you think that people can start with when it comes to fitness, strength, and conditioning that sort of covers all fields? Maybe whether it's I don't know if you're familiar with that book, like Born to Run. You know, they make sure people are like bound. You know, they're we're natural runners. Everyone can run. Like, is there any sort of single place to start that maybe people could begin from? Yeah, that, that's really good. Of course, uh, I outline a lot of this stuff in uh, my book, Unplugged. And it even has in the back of it several different samples for things like what you're talking about. Uh, so if you want to start getting these different exposures, but I would think of it this way. The body needs a ton of physical challenges. And so any way that you can think of doing, being challenged physically, do it. So I have cent some central tenets, which is, okay, you probably should do something you know, 
fairly often that requires you to lift something, move something, push something, pull something heavy. Heavy-ish. Probably should do the same thing that requires you to do it with speed. Probably should do the same thing that requires you to do it until you're tired. You probably should do something that makes your heart rate get as high as possible. You probably should do something that requires you to sustain energy over a long period of time. This could be a 30-minute walk. Could be 30 minute rowing, it could be two hour hike, anything like that. That pretty much covers all the bases of what a human body would be ever exposed to from a physical stress in terms of exercise, right? So, this could be something like okay, one day a week I go to spin class, one day a week I do yoga, uh, one day a week I do like a circuit training, and then one day a week I do higher rest intervals, heavier weights. And then on the weekends, I make sure I go for a long walk or hike. That, that's a pretty good spot for a lot of people to start something like that. Anyone who's just doing, say, the long duration endurance piece or just doing the circuit piece or just doing the lift weights piece, you probably have a hole in your game somewhere. Or you're missing the movement stuff. Like you need to learn to move better, to have full range of motions. Um, one of the laws I have about strength conditioning is you should train all of your joints through all of their ranges of motion. If it's been a year since you've made your shoulder do one of the range of motions that it's supposed to do, well, yeah, your, your shoulder's going to be crappy. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your hips. Your hips are meant to squat all the way up and down. If it's been 10 years since your hips have gone through that much hip flexion, like you're going to have a problem. Uh, you do that, and then I think you can get real funny. You start exp expanding out to things like hunger and thirst and cold and hot and sleep. And those are all physical challenges as well that you're naturally meant to be able to endure. And so once you kind of mastered those other things, you can start playing with uh, those different exposures. And maybe this is now something like just a hot yoga class. Or maybe it's some sauna time. Maybe it's a little bit of exercise in the sauna. Maybe it's not. Like Maybe it's cold work. There's a lot of different ways you can play. But really, I think very, very basic for someone getting started is you don't have to overthink it. You really don't have to, it doesn't have to be masterful. Let's just start thinking, hey, you know what? I haven't done anything that requires me to not stop for 25 straight minutes in, in years. Let's start there. Okay, maybe you're going to jump rope. Maybe you're going to ride a stationary bike. Maybe you're going to uh, kickboxing or you know, do punching bag, hit a punching bag in your, in your garage for 25 minutes. Okay, great. Whatever happens to be. Uh, just start there and think about what's the type of physical challenge that you haven't been exposed to in a very long time and, and then put that back in. Got it. Got it. Excellent. Uh, we've talked a lot about different, you know, strength and you know, personal improvements or exercises and things. What are some of the ways that you see some of maybe the top performing athletes recover, you know, or, or you know, cause I, I feel like in, for a lot of people, they focus on the exercise, not so much on the recovery. Is there any advice you could offer for people to, you know, understand maybe how to recover better, faster? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I would say consistently in sleep is the biggest thing. Without question, just having a very consistent sleep pattern uh, is, is without question the biggest tool. There's all kinds of tips and tricks, like an ice bath. Um, Cold water immersion tends to work a lot better than something like cryotherapy. Um, but for dismissal soreness, cryotherapy can be fine. Um, adequate nutrition is, is a big one. But if you want to get very specific, you can start playing with things like timing of food. 
And so try having, making sure you have protein and carbohydrates either right before, during, or after your workout. That tends to help recovery quite a bit. Uh, same thing with right, right before you go to bed. It's absolutely fine to eat right before you go to bed, particularly carbohydrates and protein. It's not going to make you any fatter, as long as your calories are equated. You can't just add calories and not expect to gain weight. Right? But having right before bed doesn't inherently make you gain fat. This actually generally does the opposite. That's a very good trick I use a lot. Uh, it tends to make you sleep better as well, and you wake up feeling um, less groggy if you have carbohydrate, slower releasing carbohydrate right before bed. Uh, you couple that with the protein, you know, you oftentimes feel a lot less groggy when you wake up because your blood sugar is not just feeding. Wow. Uh, so that stuff can help. Um, you can also yeah. do other things like there's so many techno. Sorry, uh, there's so many technologies that make things like compression boots and socks and e stems and all that stuff will make you feel better if if you're just in like oh, muscle soreness recovery. Uh, that that can be there as well. Yeah, that's I love that. Uh, you mentioned sort of there's a misconception about you know eating before bed. Is it, you know, that's sort of one of those ones that you hear time and time again, you probably read, you know, people read articles about it. You got any, you know, top misconceptions that drive you crazy? Any, any ones that you read that headline, you're just like, oh my God, how does this publication still exist? <laughs> I got a, I got a career of those, my man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, all of them, we've covered a lot of them conceptually so far, but, but things like, um, uh, even fat loss is another big one. Uh, so you don't have to do steady state cardio for fat loss. That's complete garbage. All you have to do from an exercise perspective for fat loss is just breathe. Just do anything that makes you breathe. Doesn't matter high intensity, low intensity. There's no magic heart rate zone that optimizes fat loss. Typically, the higher your heart rate, the better fat loss. Um, so those are common ones or thinking you have to do a particular exercise for a particular outcome. Uh, those are massive problems. Um, uh, diet is another one where you could exchange the conversation we had earlier about the different paradigms of sort of strength training for diet and it would, it would be the exact same scaffolding. So it, it's, uh, it, we just have so much evidence. To, like it doesn't particularly matter which diet you do. What matters is do you do it and are you in a caloric deficit if fat loss is the is the goal or surplus, whatever you're looking for if you're trying to gain muscle mass. So that type of detail uh, matters a lot less than people think, uh, which actually hopefully is generally freeing for most people. So it's sort of like, well, don't worry about, don't have anxiety over the, whether or not you should do keto, keto versus paleo. It doesn't matter. They're going to be equally effective. You do them equally effectively. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to matter. So are you excited to do one of them? Then do that. Are you really apprehensive about doing one? Well, don't do that one. Can you modify it a little bit? Sure, great. Like, that stuff, they don't worry about what some of these people are selling and pitching about, like, you got to do it my special way and everyone other way is going to fail. Nope. We have a ton of scientific evidence. There's a couple things you have to get to in this case for fat loss. You got to be a caloric deficit one way or the other. All these other diets are simply systems to help you get to a caloric deficit. Great. So if one system works better for you than another one, fantastic. Crush it. One system of exercising works better for you if you hate it. Awesome. Think from a beginner's perspective, all you're trying to do really is set habits and create lifestyle. You get a couple of years down the road, and now we can start talking about, well, I think this type of lifting will be a little bit better for you, be a little more effective. But right now, 
I'm just trying to get you to be like, this is a normal part of your life. That's what you should be striving for. So release that anxiety of worrying about, wow, is this the best way to do it? Just move. Just, just eat good food, real food. Don't eat too much of it. Just move in a lot of different ways. And you're going to be feeling really good. And sleep awesome. consistently, very consistently. Yeah. Do you, uh, recommend a, you know, like is eight hours required? Do you, do you know some people can get away with less or do you think that's a myth as well? Uh, no, uh, certainly some people can get away with less. Uh, seven is fairly standard for long. There are a very select few of people who can get away with like the three to five range, but that number is extraordinarily low. It's statistically zero percent. Wow. So it's statistically 0%, which means, okay, if there's 350 million Americans, that there is going to be 10,000 people that actually that, that can do that. But when you run, you know, 10,000 as a percent of 350 million is actually basically zero, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, at the individual level, some people can't, but that number is far. Everyone thinks they're that person. Everyone thinks they have that gene. Yeah. No, you don't. It's very, 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 very unlikely. Um, you will probably feel a lot better on seven. As you do on five. Mm -hmm. So it's the short term game versus the long game. Right. So you might be doing, you might be surviving now, but you're not thriving. And this is what we want to be looking for. Now, like, dude, I, I got no problem with somebody going through a period of like, hey, I'm building this company or whatever. I'm going to go six months. I just did that. I mean, I had a baby coming and I just was like, it was six months of just hell because I knew I had to get all this stuff done before she got here. But now I'm like, I'm paying that back. I'm paying that debt back. Yeah, I'm sleeping a lot more, so you have to do that for a while. So I'm good with that, just like short term, work your balls off. But you got to pay that debt back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is there uh, any content, any books that you recommend to people to maybe get you know get started in this space to understand more, maybe about the science behind strength conditioning and that sort of stuff? Is there anything that you like to recommend to people? Uh, I think it's really hard to do that. Of course, I mentioned. Um, my book earlier that, that is certainly a starting place for it. But there's so many different areas of this space that it's hard for me to give you like a uh, what you're kind of into. I think at this point, podcasts, podcasting are really good. You can check out uh, the first few seasons of my podcast and season three will be coming out. So season one was on change. And we took it from the cellular level all the way to the national healthcare level. And season two was on Sherpas or leaders, people who help you lead through change. And it's almost always physical exercise, health sort of related stuff. And then season three now is mastery. And so we're taking people from the basics to the mastery of, of all these things. So that all can be a good place um, to sort of check out. But other than that, you know, it just kind of depends on what area you're interested in um, to, to kind of dive into. I think podcasts are great at this point and bounce around. And see what you can find yourself. Absolutely. Well, I definitely recommend everyone check out your podcast, The Body of Knowledge. Love that name. It's got the knowledge in it, you know. Uh, do you have any final asks or requests to the audience before we uh, end off here? No. Uh, I guess maybe if I throw one out there is, uh, um, you know, we're in an age where personal responsibility is probably at its lowest. And, uh, it, it all starts with one. So you've got to take responsibility for thyself, particularly your physical body. Um, treat people really nice. <laughs> Be nice to the people. Uh, get off the fucking internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, especially uh, I think that those people I'm sure everyone pretty much by now has heard of a knower versus learner uh, growth mindset versus scarcity mindset I think those two things are like probably the central most important thing that we need everyone to, to get caught up on in this uh, in this country but especially so if those two things growth versus scarcity mindset or knower versus learner are new to you go go look them up and uh, I just couldn't implore you hard enough to treat those things as seriously as you can because uh, it'll change your life. It's the easiest, fastest way to make a monumental change in your life. Wow. Thank you so much for that information. It's been a real honor having you on the show here, Andy. And, uh, you know, I, I wish you best of luck in, in your future ventures. I'm looking forward to seeing what you what you produce next and in the next season of the podcast. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks.